have a Air Force, um, an Air Force base, and it's the fighter jet Air Force base. And so we get to see uh, the F-16 fighter jets coming in and out all day long. It's pretty fun. Uh, I have a picture of my family for you guys, only for you. It's exclusive. Um, the other two I forgot, so <laughs> don't tell my wife. Um, but this is my wife, Mary, and then we have four children. Ella is the oldest, and then Elijah uh, is our five-year-old, Elena, the two-year-old standing up, and then Ezra is four months right now. And um, when we asked uh, Elijah what he thought we should name the baby, he said, Marshmallow Thundershock. <laughs> we said, um, explain. And he said, marshmallows are sweet and they're squishy. And we're like... Okay, all right. Uh, we didn't go with that. We went with Ezra. But if you look at him, uh, he has the resemblance of Elmer Fudd. And so if his hair will like hold off for Halloween, he's going to be Elmer Fudd, I think. I think we're going to go with that. Well, that's them. And uh, it is j- really, uh, I was just sitting down watching your very talented teens and just being amazed at, at God's grace to you as a church. And I hope you realize just how blessed of a congregation you are and, um, and how we all are, right? If we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, it is a good life. And uh, the moment that we forget that we are simply broken, fallen people saved by grace, and it is Jesus who makes all the difference, uh, we're in trouble. I was driving up yesterday. I haven't told the story to either one, so this is, again, exclusive to you. I was driving up and thinking, you know, all right, I hope this thing goes well and all this. And as I, I, I stop at a gas station, and uh, after I drop the family off at, her, at Mary's parents' house in Beckley, uh, and I got her, you know, we try to eat really healthy, but I got a Reese's and a Kit Kat. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. And so I'm, I'm driving, I'm eating all these things on the way, and I'm thinking about it the whole week. But I dropped a piece and didn't know it, and it slid underneath my leg and got hot. And then I showed up, and I'm meeting Mark, and I go to get back in the van because he's going to take me and show me around the property. And I look, and I see the thing, and I've had this brown spot on the back of my pants. And I just realize, God, you're gracious. You're just really, really gracious. If you have your Bibles open, we probably should move on. If you have your Bibles open with me to Daniel chapter 1. Um, Daniel, unlike myself, is going to be very talented and gifted. And we're going to look at his life on this teen Sunday and see what the Lord can uh, teach us and uh, do in our lives today. So as you open to Daniel chapter one, let me pray and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we know that it is you who make all the difference. And we are just so grateful for your mercy to us. Lord, I do ask that you would bless your word this morning and you would uh, use it in our lives and you would just really change us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It says in verses 1 through 7, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, uh, as, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. The background of this, this text that we have here, uh, let me just take a moment and just describe a little bit to you. So what is happening in the world is Assyria, who is the major world power of the day, has declined to the point that the two other major world powers, Egypt in the south and Babylon to the east, want to kind of take that area. And so these two have trash-talked enough, and they've sent you know ambassadors back and forth and whatever. And so now it's time to fight. The year is 605, and these two go together. Egypt comes through Israel up to the north above them in the Syria area, and they clash, and it's a huge battle, and there's all kinds of historical documents written about it. And in 605, Babylon whoops them, right? Just like destroys them. So Egypt comes back down through Israel, retreating, but telling Jehoiakim, hey, stick with us. We, we're not running away. We're just regrouping. Keep the tax money coming. But Babylon's right on their heels. And as Babylon comes down, they win another victory and they enter Israel and they begin to conquer and besiege and overtake Jerusalem. And as they do that, Nebuchadnezzar's father dies. The king of Babylon dies. It's in August, Nebuchadnezzar knows he has to go home before another son or stepson or some other government official tries to take control or assassinate him. So he runs back home as fast as he can. But on his way, he takes the vessels of the house of God to say, my God's better than yours. I'm victorious. My God's victorious. Yours is a failure. And I'm going to take your goods and your vessels with me. Also, I'm going to take the very best of your men. That way, even if you feel like at some point you politically can break away, you can't because I'm only going to leave you losers and I'm going to take the best of the royal family and the best of the nobility and the smartest and the giftedest and the most handsome. I'm going to take all those guys with me and thus Daniel makes his way to Babylon. And much like a lot of you, all of us really, we are under some tremendous cultural pressure, right? But I don't know if it's as intense as Daniel's. Let me just give you a few of the things, just remind you of a few of the things Daniel had to go through. Daniel has a new location. In fact, Daniel will never again live in Israel for the rest of his life. He will see more of the Jews come to Babylon. And even as they make their way home, Daniel will not. At least we don't think he does. Second, Daniel's given a new education. He's given a new cultural 
worldview. When, he, when they say in verse 4 here that they were going to teach him literature and the language of the Chaldeans, they didn't just mean they were going to like make him read Dickens or uh, they're going to try to make him read some like really famous old Chaldean guys. What they mean is we're going to teach you astrology and how to read the stars. We're going to teach you astronomy. We're going to teach you all of the, all of the stories of creation because we're the ones that got the story right. We're the ones that really know how the world began and we know how life should go and we know how you should live and you're going to follow in our cultural footprint. They give him a new language. He has to learn the language of the Chaldeans. And it's not just like you got to be able to speak it and say, hey, uh, bathroom, right? Uh, Where's the bathroom? He's got to learn it to the degree that he can write as part of the government legal documents, right? This is not, you know, you you can like make it and you can talk to a friend and you can have a conversation. This is, you got to be able to really, really understand the language to the point of like legal language. There's English and then there's like legal English. And I don't want to know that, but Daniel had to learn it. And he had three years to learn it. Um, Daniel's going to law school in the most ungodly nation in the world. And if that's not pressure enough, you lose your language, you lose your home, you lose your culture, you lose your family, he loses his name. Do you see at this last verse here? As if to top it all off, Daniel's name is no longer Daniel, but Belteshazzar. Daniel, whose original name meant God is the judge or God will judge, is now changed to Baal, protect his life. Hananiah goes from Jehovah is gracious to under the command of a coup. Mishael, whose name means what, who is what God is, is changed to uh, Meshach, which is who is what a coup is. And the last one, Azariah's name, Jehovah has helped, has been changed to Abednego or the servant of Nebo or Nego. Um, They've lost it all. And you and I should just realize that we, we, don't li- we live in a very similar culture to this, right? You're living in a, in a culture where the, the general trend of life is to pursue things contrary to the God of the Bible. And you're in that world, right? I'm in that world. Certain cities have their own kind of uh, general temptations or idols. So Hollywood would be mainly, um, I don't know, glory and fame and live for that. If you go up north, or well, I guess it's east, northeast, New York is mainly known for financial. So greed is an idol of their city. D.C. would maybe be power. Or popularity, you've got to get the vote, you've got to win. If you go to more rural areas, it can be uh, kind of a tribalism, which shows up in racism, a number of other idols. So everybody's got their own, and each place has its own, but you have your own, right? 
You're not all going to be tempted by a, a particular drug or alcohol, but you might be tempted in lust. And you might not be tempted in lust, but you're tempted with pride. And you might not be tempted with pride, but you're tempted with hypocrisy. And you might not be tempted with hypocrisy. It might be, you know, financial security. And it might not be financial security. It might be laziness. And it might not be laziness. It might be addiction to gaming. Like, you're, you're in a culture right now that's saying, love me. And all of us have this part in common. Timothy Keller writes, he says, the big three idols of American culture are these. Number one, do what makes you happy, right? Whatever you're going to do in life, make sure that you're happy. The only problem is philosophers have now come along and said, if you live for the emotion of happiness alone, you are destined to be miserable, right? The best coaches in life coach because they love helping young men. The best writers don't do it just because they make them happy. They do it because they feel that that story is going to enrich the lives of others. If you're right now living just so that you'll be happy, that's the number one guarantee to be miserable. Number two, your culture will say this. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. If anybody tries to put some type of rule or regulation on you, they are oppressive, they are restrictive, they are holding back the freedom that you deserve, and don't let anybody ever tell you what to do. Don't listen to them. Ironically, they're telling you what to do. Just thought. Um, And the last one, which is probably the biggest, is be yourself, right? And great, I mean, yes, in some way, all of these are true, right? God does want you to be happy, not that that's the ultimate thing. And God does, really, he doesn't want you to just do what everybody else says. He wants you to do what he says. And yes, he does want you to be the person he's made you to be. But when they mean be yourself, they mean no rules, just whatever desires come out, right? If it's a natural desire, that means it must be good. And that's not true. And again, ironically, everybody who says, just be yourself, ironically, don't look very different from each other, do they? They kind of look the same, sound the same, act the same. So those are the idols. They're not new. They've been around forever. Daniel had them, and Daniel probably had it rougher than we do. But you just need to know, and what I want you to do at this point, right? This is the application part for just your life right now. Which one is the hard one for you? Greed, lust, laziness, comfort, selfishness. Be yourself. What is it, right? Just kind of keep that in your mind as we go. Here's what Daniel decides to do. This is where the... The shift in him, or maybe the lack of shift in him, happens. Look with me in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel resolved. That word in Hebrew is shum, which means nothing. But this is what, it's used a variety of places. It's kind of a really broad word. So let me just give you a little bit of um, examples. First of all would be... um, it's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, God planted a garden in Eden. It's used of Daniel, uh, sorry, David. David um, shoved a sword 
into the sheath or into somebody. Um, a stake being planted in the ground, right? You're, you're setting the mark. This thing is not moving. Daniel is resolving. He's making a purpose that this is not going to move. And the thing that he wouldn't do, it says he would not defile himself. He would not defile himself. That word is simply um, to defile to pollute, to corrupt. There's a difference in Daniel. And notice Daniel doesn't fight every, he doesn't fight every cultural trend. He's fine with them calling him a different name. He's fine with living in Babylon. He's fine for working for the government in Babylon. He's fine with learning a new language. He's fine with going to school. He's fine with all of those things. And he doesn't fight any of it. What he finally says, I will not do this, is on his personal holiness, right? His personal character. He will hold that character to the degree that no matter what happens, he will not do this. He, he, he sets it. He resolves that I will not. I'm not going to fight every trend, right? I'm not going to not be in some way involved in the real world. I'm not going to go and kind of pull the uh, Amish kind of thing and say all of culture's bad. He says, no, I'll be involved in the world. I'm just not going to let go of my own personal character. Now, as strong as he's going to hold that resolve, right? Notice how he does it. It's incredibly respective, respectful. Look in verse 8, like midway through. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigns your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are... Of your own age. For you would endanger my head with the king. This guy is so afraid he thinks if Daniel looks bad, he's going to die. That's how much he, he is in fear of the king. Verse 11 Daniel, then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. He listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. For all of you vegetarians and vegans, you love this passage. For all of you meat lovers, eh, it's all right. right. What Daniel does is he, he, he resolves, I'm not going to sin. And we don't know exactly what part of this food thing made it sin. We don't know if it was a, the food's been offered to idols and now it's been defiled in some way. We don't know if it's types of food that the Jews just weren't meant to eat and those are being brought in. And since Daniel isn't going to eat that, then he doesn't, you know. And we don't know if it's how it was prepared. It doesn't say. But whatever it was, Daniel says, I'll go through your classes, I'll work in your government, but I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. Please let me respectfully decline. And what he does is so important for you and I today, right? 
Because Daniel is, do you, did you remember how, how, did you hear how respectful he was? He didn't get on social media and just blast Babylon. He didn't, he didn't start a revolt. He didn't start a riot. He didn't, he didn't try to gather a group who were going to be anti-cultural. He just respectfully said, I understand your fear. You think if I look bad, the king's going to kill you. And for them, kings weren't like presidents, right? When they thought of kings, there were the gods, and then the gods worked through the king, and the king was the disperser of the will of God. That's how, that's how it worked in Pharaoh's life. That's how it was in Babylon. That's just kind of how life was. So this guy was God to this servant. Not to Daniel, but to this guy he was. When you and I sin, when we give in to any of those other sinful desires or pressures or things that come out of us, we're like that guy, right? You, and you don't really know it until it happens. You don't, you don't know that you've made an idol of the spouse until the spouse leaves and you feel like your life is over and you're going to die. You don't know that you've made the child the idol until the child lets you down. He can't live up to the pressures you put on him and he says he hates you and walks away in rebellion and you feel like your life is over. It's just a sign you made that child an idol. When you lose your job, because you don't have a paycheck coming in, you feel like life is over because you don't have money. That's just the revelation that you've made greed an idol. Right? Fear overwhelms us. And it's done it to us all, right? Guilty. Anybody else ever had that, had that experience? All right, it's, it's 11. I get it. You're tired. It's cool. We've all been there. Daniel doesn't beat them up. Isn't it great to know that God and really godly people don't beat up on sinners because we realize we were sinners and still struggle with sin ourselves, don't we? Daniel just says, look, let me have the opportunity to show you a better way. Now for him, the better way was vegetables and water. But it turned out so good that it seems in verse 16 that the steward took away the food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I think it means the whole group only got vegetables. And somehow eating vegetables in verse 15, at the end of 10 days, their appearance was better and their flesh was fatter. Yeah. Anybody down for some fatter flesh? We're kind of on the opposite end of that, right? We're kind of like, I'm trying to watch my weight. Now, this guy was impressed because Daniel looked fatter than the other guys. He looked healthy. And so for the rest of the time, Daniel and his guys, and I think probably the entire group, ate vegetables, and drank water. He showed a better way. If you're going to tell and you're going to resist the culture of lust, then you have to have a great marriage if you're going to show a better way. You can't say, that's terrible, and then your marriage be just this awful, this pit of, of just venom. You can't, you can't say to the world, look, don't love money, but when you don't have any, you fall apart. You got to be able to say, look, okay, I don't know how God's going to provide, but it's going to be amazing and I'm going to trust him for it and it's, it's going to be incredible. Now, you don't have to feel like that excited about it because it's still scary. But in your heart, there has to be a better way, right? Has to be a better way. If you're going to say loving these other things are going to hurt you, you've got to show a better way. 
Church, we've got to do a better job of that. There's that old saying, it's really old, and I don't remember exactly where it came from, but it's, you attract more flies with honey than vinegar. You ever heard that? It's really old country stuff. My mom came from, like, farming, and my dad's mechanics. So, you know, we, we grew up on, like, little sayings like that. But that's true, right? Um, you got to show a better way. Because ultimately, here's what happens in verse 17. After Daniel does this, after Daniel devoted himself and resolved that he would not defile himself, and he does it respectfully, verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. At the end of that time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them... None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. God blesses him, right? And when you decide you're going to follow the Lord, teenagers, when you decide you're going to follow the Lord, God, I promise you, will bless you. I just want to be an engineer and work in a cubicle and like do my thing. That's, that's all I want to do. And God said, no, I want you to go into ministry. I was like, I don't think so. It's a bad idea. I can't even read. Right? Terrible background. I can't, it's, we won't get into that, but it was just awful. Like it was a terrible decision. But you, but you just trust him and you just go and you obey and all of a sudden you realize man, God's, God's smarter than me, right? He's got it. He knows what he's doing. And he begins to bless. And he blesses more. And he blesses more. And that is a beautiful thing. And, and Nebuchadnezzar found these guys 10 times better than everybody else. In fact, when you do it God's way, it all, almost always works out better for you. Almost always. If you want to be in business, if you're ethical and appreciative and on time, and you call people back, and you do what you say you're going to do, that word spreads, and you get more business. Because you're just being the type of person God wants you to be. When you use a cell phone, the way a cell phone's meant to be used, it works really great. But if you try to make it a doorstop, or a hammer to hit something with, or you think it's a good thing that should hang on your window, and you sling it and try to make it stick, that's a terrible use. And you're going to break it. And if you think that you know how to run your life better than you think God knows how to run your life, you're just going to hurt yourself. Listen, I've learned this from my own life and from the lives of others. Nobody's going to wreck your life like you will. Nobody's going to wreck you. You, Many of you have been sinned against and some have been victims of terrible things, but nobody's going to wreck your life like you will. When you decide that you're not going to try to go your own way, but you're going to be willing to follow God's way, he blesses. At the same time, (laughs) this is the rest of the story. Um, Expect the trials to increase. When it says here in verse 20 that in every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Don't think that didn't go unnoticed. Why in the world would Nebuchadnezzar have defeated Jewish boys 
in his cabinet of advisors if he was already the king of the world, right? Like, why wouldn't you just trust your own Babylonian guys? It doesn't say, but there's some reason why he's bringing in new blood into the government. Maybe he didn't trust those guys. Maybe he knew them too well, but he's bringing in new blood. And the magicians and the enchanters are definitely not going to like that. The older men aren't going to like their youth. The Babylonians aren't going to like their race. The magicians and enchanters aren't going to like their giftedness. And if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to resolve to follow God God's way. You better expect that not everybody's going to like you. They're not going to like you. Some will, right? It's going to be mixed. But just be ready for that. But Daniel's not alone in this. And you're not alone in this either. You see, we have a savior who lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live to the, to the letter, right? Perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, perfect love and generosity and sacrifice. And people in his own nation were so envious, they murdered him. Now, God had a bigger plan. And that sin brought about the greatest gift you and I could ever receive. That brought about the forgiveness of our sins as Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again the third day. And friend, if you're here today and you don't know that Jesus, he has forgiveness for you and he has love for you and he did that on purpose for you because he loves you. If you're here today and you don't know that Christ, you don't know that Jesus, Friend, that is why he came. And I challenge you to put your faith in him. And if you're here today and you think, man, I don't know what's going on in the world and I don't know what we're gonna do and it feels like everything's just going down and there's no hope. Friend, look, look at this book. Look at this chapter one more time. Let's look one more time. I'm gonna point you to three verses. Look at verse two. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Look down in verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And look in verse 17. And as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding of visions and dreams. This is how it ends, folks. God's in control of this whole thing. It wasn't that it wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar was better than the Lord and his gods were better than the Lord. The Lord gave the battle of victory to Nebuchadnezzar. He just gave it to him. And then God gave Daniel favor with the chief of the eunuchs. And then ultimately God gave Daniel and his friends these blessings. You see, you see how this is all working together. You have Nebuchadnezzar who appears to be greater than the Lord. He takes his vessels, he takes his men, he takes his city, he takes its king, he takes everything. And it appears on the surface that everything is bad and Israel has no hope in the future and it's all over for them. But by the end of chapter one, this has already begun to shift. Nebuchadnezzar has now been given over to the wisdom and advice of Daniel and Azariah and Mishael And uh, I always forget the first guy. It's all right, that dude. Nebuchadnezzar's ear is now being pulled by these guys. So when you, if you're like we can become, and you look around and you say, I don't think it can get any worse. God's in control of that. 
And I don't know how any young person, I don't know how any teenager, and I feel so bad for what you guys have to go through. And I can't, I don't think anybody can handle this kind of weight and pressure and all the cultural tension that's going on. God's got that. Right? He's got it. And there's going to be men like Daniel and women like this who are just going to rise up. And it's not the end. This isn't the end. It's not like everything's going down. Because God is on the throne. And you can trust him. Jesus says to his church, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. And church, we got to trust him in that. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, three questions, four questions I have for you. Number one, what cultural pressure is Satan trying to get you with right now? What sin, what distraction is weighing you down right now? Lust, greed, praise of man, acceptance, ease and comfort, right? Whatever it is, I want you to think of that. Whichever one is right now the most tempting to you. Second, I want you to resolve in your heart this morning before you leave that you will not defile yourself with anything that this culture wants to throw at you. Third, how can you do that respectfully? You're in a job where the boss wants you to fudge numbers. How do you do it respectfully? You're in a place or a relationship where it's becoming more physical. How do you respectfully get out of that? How do, you, how do you carefully, or maybe not so carefully, get out of the sins of laziness and sloth? They're all real. And the last thing, some of you are here today and you're thinking, man, if I let go of that person or that thing or that whatever, that, that's my life. That's my life. I can't let go of that. Friend, that's an idol. Jesus Christ died to show you that there's not just another way. There is a better way. He says, I came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. So friend, today, drop, let go of the idol that you're holding on to so hard and trust in your Savior. Don't leave today without knowing him as your personal Savior. Heavenly Father, Lord, I... We give this text to you. We give our hearts to you. Lord, work in us however you see fit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.